Good morning, Overlake. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. Let's stand. We're going to worship Jesus. We're so glad to see you. Let's worship the Lord. I was buried beneath my shame. Who can carry that kind away? It was my tale till I met you. Come on. I was breathing, but not alive. Oh, my feelings, I tried. Too high, you was my tomb till I met you. Call my name, you call my name, and I ran out of that grave. together. Let's declare this next part. Come on. I need a rescue. I need a rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break out the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen. Come on. When I was broken, you were my You call my name, and I 
wash over you. to you, Lord. We give it back to you, Lord. 
Ah, good to sing praises to our great Lord and Savior. It is an amazing thought to me, and I want us to hold on to this, that we can offer God nothing that doesn't first come from his hand. We, We can offer God nothing that isn't first a gift to us from him. Are you with me? Even the breath in our lungs comes from him. Isn't that great? Amen. It is such an honor to be with you. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I love being on this journey with you, Overlake. It's so, it's just such a gift. It's such an honor to to be traveling with you on this road of life and faith. And I want to welcome you here. Uh, If this is your first time, especially, I want to say welcome. It is, it is really a joy to be with you this morning. Um, There is a card. It's a connection card in your handout. And I would just ask everybody today that sometime during the service, take some, take some time, fill that card out. It's just a way that we do care and ministry a little bit better, and so I really do encourage you, fill it out. If there's prayer requests you have, if you make a spiritual decision, let us know. Uh, If there's a a question you have or a way that we can connect you, all of that can be kind of transacted on that card, and and later the offering buckets will be passed, and you can drop those cards in. If this is your first time, again, we're so glad you're here. Hold on to your card, and on your way out, you can stop by the Connection Center and turn that in. we got a gift for you, and it's just a a chance for us to say thank you so much uh, for being with us this morning. Here's what I want to do. Before you sit down, before we continue, I, I, just, I, I just want to recognize that it's, it's a little dreary outside, and uh, it's, that's, it's where we live. We should expect it, but that's just kind of it. I'd expect that for the next, you know, 10, 12 months. But here's the thing is it might be dreary outside, but it is sunny in your faces. So turn and shine some sun on one another. Can you do that? Just, just give a little high five, a little hug, a little handshake. Let's do that. All right, well, go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. And today what we're going to be doing is wrapping up a series we started a few weeks ago. It's about how we understand the Bible. And I would say this. This is one of those seminal, very important kind of a series. If you missed the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to go online and catch up because these are, this is like, it's really foundational. These are, these are sort of seminal kinds of messages so that we understand who we are. We understand how we approach the scripture, how we understand and, and apply God. God's word in our life today, and, 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 and it's, it's just super pivotal, so I, I really encourage you to, to catch up with us if you happen to have missed, and then here's the thing, we sort of strung an analogy together over these three weeks, and the analogy is about taking a road trip. We talked about the different ways in which we experience things as we go on a road trip and the different climates and temperaments of, of different parts of, say, America or North America, and, and um, it's like that in the scripture, so it's important for us to get that part of it down, that wherever you're traveling, it's a little bit different, and there's some local color, and in order to understand how to interact, you got to know where you are. And then we talked last week about how Jesus is that great continental divide 
that he's that high point. He's that point that sort of divides the entire continent in half. And you got religion on one side. You got relationship with God on the other side. And Jesus is, you know, he's that, he's that dividing place. He's that, that place where it all shifts and it all changes uh, when you come to the person of Jesus. And, and so today what I want to do is a little bit of extending that analogy of a road trip. I want you to think about the different ways that you can experience travel. So just, just think about it. There are so many ways that you can experience, say, travel cross-country. And the first way is you can, experience, you can experience it on your television set. So from the comfort of your own couch, you could watch Rick Steves or you could watch some travel channel and you could, you could sit there and you could be sipping your beverage and you could be snuggling your honey and you could be watching in the comfort of your couch and your family room, you could be watching a screen that would, would experience travel for you, right? Uh, then the next way you could experience travel is from 30,000 feet. Okay, you could experience cross-country travel and you could sort of look out a plastic, you know, dome-shaped window the size of your forehead and, and that's how you could experience going across countries. That's your experience of travel. Uh, the next way you could experience travel is by taking a road trip in your car. And so you're, you're driving, you're, you're on the road trip and, and you're experiencing the whole world through the television screen of your windshield, right? It's a, it's a nice flat screen and maybe occasionally you look out the side window, see where you're traveling through, but it's basically you're removed, you're separated from that. You could also go cross country on a motorcycle, which I have done and uh, do not recommend for safety reasons, but I would just tell you that it is an amazing thing to be immersive in, you know, you're there and, and the element are right there and so like you drive by lilacs you smell lilacs you drive by strawberry fields you smell strawberries you drive by a horse barn and you know you smell uh, other things and um, I just want you to understand like you're in it you're, you're a part of it or you could travel by your feet and you could be in it and you could be hiking your way across country or uh, and, and when you're that, you're in the landscape that you are traversing through. You're actually a part of the forest. You're a part of the fields. You're, you're on the trails. And, 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 and it's just so much more immersive and interactive, right? And so you think about the first example that we gave of watching on TV and the last one of marching your way along a trail, you know, along the John Muir Trail. You realize that there are this, this incredible spectrum of experiences you can have depending upon your posture and your perspective. Are you with me? Because if you allow yourself to get in the right posture and you have the right perspective, you can have an incredibly interactive and immersive experience. But if you don't, it's just something you're watching on TV. And that's what I want you to understand when it comes to the scripture. That some of us, we, we approach it like from a distance. It's a distance learning. We, we sort of view it academically or we view it through the lens of history or, or whatever, you know, cultural context, those kinds of things. So, nothing wrong with that. It's just very academic. It's very removed. And what I'm arguing is that what we want to do is immerse ourselves in it. We want to actually get into the scripture. We want to understand exactly what it is that God has for us when we open up the pages of his word. And so if you're filling in the blanks, it brings us to the very first one here. And the first one is this, that we have to understand that the Bible reveals God's plan for salvation. God's plan for salvation. 
You see, the way we position ourselves, the lens through which we view things, it changes everything about our experience of the scripture. So it's important for us to understand this part of it, that the Bible is a revelation of God's plan for salvation. Like a headline reveals what an article is about, or a movie trailer reveals what a movie is about. The Bible reveals what God is all about, and God is about saving. And you might ask, well, what is God interested in saving? And the answer is everything. He's interested in saving everything. He's interested in the reconciliation of all things. You see, God's heart is he wants to save everybody. He knows sin has invaded humanity and separates us from God and from one another and even from our own selves. And the whole Bible foretells and clearly tells. You might want to write that down. That's clever. Foretells and clearly tells. I came up with that. I was impressed. Please write it down. (laughs) That God's plan is restoration through Jesus Christ. It's all about this. So here's the scripture, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now I want you to take a look at that verse again. Just just reread it with me here. This week I have... I have read these verses over and over. They are so theologically rich. And as I read them, there were a few words that just seemed to pop off the page at me. And and so I'd love for you to circle a few words. Circle the word Christ. And then circle the word reconciled. Circle the word everything. And then circle the phrase on the cross. Christ reconciled everything on the cross. And friends, the entire Bible tells that story. That's what it's all about. And if you've been around Overlake for any length of time, you might have heard us summarize the entirety of Scripture. And I'm going to do this again. You might want to write this down. It, it, it's this. It, from start to finish, here is the Cliffsnose version of this entire Scripture. Says, uh, is this, that God chose a nation. He chose Israel to birth Messiah, to birth a son, Jesus Christ, in order to save the world. That's you, and that's me. This is the work of Jesus through the cross and resurrection that is God's plan of salvation. And since this is the meta-narrative, this is the entire arc of Scripture, what it leads us to is this next truth on our fill-ins, is that we need to understand the Bible's about Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus. And again, this is not some new concept. If you've been a part of the Overlake journey, you know that we've, we've come here again and again. But this section we have covered, and I, and I want to go through it again because I want you to understand that just like you're watching a movie and when you get to the end of it, you realize that there were clues laid out through the entire arc of the movie, I want you to understand the Bible is the same. And in other words, the written word, the Bible, points us to the living word, Jesus. And so here's here's what I want you to understand. That Jesus is referenced in Genesis 3, the promised one who will one day crush Satan under his heel. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of Passover in the book of Exodus. In Leviticus, the high priest makes sacrifices for the people, foreshadowing Christ becoming our high priest, providing the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied of one who would come greater than he. Jesus is the one greater than Moses who perfectly fulfills the law. 
Joshua meets the captain of the Lord's host. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. In Judges, the leaders delivered God's people. Each an archetype of Jesus, our deliverer. Boaz, the kinsman who redeemed Ruth's inheritance and identity, is a picture of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. David, the anointed one in Samuel, is a precursor king to Jesus, and Jesus is described as the son of David. Ezra depicts Jesus as the Lord of our fathers. Jesus is the rebuilder of the wall, the protector of God's people, and the reestablisher of a right relationship of worship of the Father embodied in the book of Nehemiah. Jesus is the one who risks all at such a time as this to intercede on behalf of his people, bringing salvation, illustrated by Esther. Job says, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him. And Jesus is his living Redeemer. Christ appears in the Psalms, including David describing him as my shepherd. Jesus' wisdom personified with the Father in creation in Proverbs 11 and John chapter 1. Isaiah details Jesus' birth and describes the suffering servant narrative of Jesus' crucifixions hundreds of years before it took place. Jeremiah reveals that Jesus will be acquainted with sorrows. In the book of Daniel, Jesus is the fourth man in the furnace of Babylon with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Joel describes Jesus as the hope of his people as Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish to emerge bringing salvation to Nineveh. Jesus spends three days in the belly of the earth to emerge bringing salvation to the world. Amos tells us that Jesus is the judge of all nations. Obadiah paints a picture of Jesus' coming eternal kingdom. Zephaniah speaks of God delighting over us, referencing the new covenant of grace where due to Jesus we're not objects of sin but children cleansed and favored. Zechariah speaks of Jesus entering humbly, writing on a cult. Malachi calls Jesus the son of righteousness. The entire Old Testament points forward to the arrival, the ministry, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whew. <laughs> Thank you for the applause. It just gives me a chance to catch my breath. Because the Gospels are actually directly and overtly about Jesus' birth, life, teaching, crucifixion, and resurrection. They're his literal story. The book of Acts describes the actions of the apostles, followers of Jesus, and the spread of the church of Jesus. The letters are all about what life with Jesus looks like. Revelation is about the return of Jesus, as are portions of Daniel and Ezekiel. When people ask what the Bible is about, it's not an oversimplification to say it's about Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 In fact, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it is Christ himself who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit with the right guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. Amen. You see, the Bible is what points us to the person of Jesus Christ. And we talked last week about Jesus himself teaches this to those who follow him. In Luke 24, 27, this is after the resurrection, but it says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the entire Bible is about this mega narrative, this, this arc of a storyline that God is bringing his salvation and the entirety of scripture points to the person through whom this salvation will come, the person of Jesus Christ. So we have to understand this or we're going to miss the mark. We're going we're to get you know, off track if, if we're not careful. So we have to understand this is what the Bible is all about. Now, the next fill-in is so important for us, and it's this, that we have to understand the Bible is to be applied through the lens of Jesus. 
through the lens of Jesus. So not only is the entire thing about him and pointing to him, but now he becomes the lens through which we view the entire canon of Scripture. So I want to do is I want to give you a visual, and again, we've come up with this graphic and we've used it before, but it's so important because of the clarity that it brings. But I want you to think about the timeline and the entire spectrum of the scripture that we have. 66 books, starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation, all the Old Testament books we talked about, how they all point forward to the person of Jesus. So all of them are arrows that point forward to the arrival of Jesus, to the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus. So the Old Testament points forward, and then the Gospels are literally that story, so they're about him. And then the, the acts of the apostles, the spread of the church of Jesus is about what life with Jesus looks like. The letters are about what life with Jesus looks like. Revelation is about the return of Jesus. So all of the scripture points to him. And then he becomes the lens, if you will, he becomes the window through which we view all the rest of scripture. So now we look through Jesus to understand what it is that we're reading in the scripture. The analogy that comes to mind is, I would love to have you raise your hand if you've ever watched a 3D movie. Anybody ever watch a, a 3D movie? That's, that's most of you, uh, at least that are awake. And, and so the, the, the idea, oh, here's a question. How many of you, you haven't watched a 3D movie in the last decade or so, but, you know, 20 years ago you watched a 3D movie? Anybody has that story? Yeah. So back in those days, they were really, like, bad experiences. I mean, you had this little, you know, you had a red lens and a blue lens, and, like, it was really headache-inducing. But these days, you put on these glasses, and the way the technology is, you go in the theater, and basically the, the movie just punches you in the face. Like, it's just coming at you. It's, it's so in your face. Now, here's the thing. It, how many of you have ever taken your glasses off in the middle of a movie? Anybody ever look at it, take your glasses off just to see what it looks like? What does it look like when you take your glasses off in a 3D movie? What? It's blurry, right? There's like these blue outlines and red outlines. It looks like it's done in triplicate. You put them back on and all of a sudden it's amazing and clarity and it's coming at you. But you take it off and you just, it's fuzzy. You can't even see what's supposed to be going on. And I want to say that the lens through which we view the scripture has to be the lens of Jesus. He has to be the glasses that we put on in order to understand what it is that we're supposed to do with this book. It, it, because last week what we talked about is this, that Jesus is the pinnacle. We talked about how Jesus is the ultimate revelation, how Jesus is perfect theology. Because Jesus is the one who unveils the new covenant of grace to us. No longer is God's wrath for sin what we're under because Jesus has taken the payment of our sin. That Jesus has rescued us and adopted us and we are children dearly loved. And this is the whole purpose that we might have life with him and in him. Now it's called abundant life, fullness of life. And yet it doesn't end when this life is over. It just continues into eternal life. And so we view the entire canon of scripture through the interpretive lens of the love of Jesus Christ. And you might want to write this down in your margin somewhere. What we have is a Jesus-centric view of theology. We, we have a view of theology, what God is all about, with Jesus at the very center. And he's the lens through which we view the entire canon of scripture. John 20, 31 says this. 
It says, but these are written. In other words, these words, the words in here, the words of the book of John, the words in the, the book of the Bible, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's what it's all about. That's what it's for. And that's how we view it. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples about how we view the scripture through the lens of Jesus. And the first one is an example that, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you already know this to be true. But there is quite a bit of law covered in the Old Testament. Okay? And, and not just a little bit, not just like a verse here and there, but for those of you who have read through the Old Testament, you know that there are chapter upon chapter upon chapter, and even book after book. If you've ever started in Genesis and just tried to read through, you know, start to finish, you, you might make it through Exodus, but you'll get mired down in like Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? Okay, why? Because it's just so much law. It's so much, you know, it's got to be built this way, and it's got to look this way, and the priest has to have tassels that are yay long. And, you know, it, it's all about this wash basin has to look like this and be this cubits and this length. And you, you're like, what's a cubit? You know, and you're, you're like, you're, it's like not even computing. What do I do with all this stuff? And I want you to understand that it's all there for a reason. God, God gave the law to Moses all for a reason. And yet you probably know that Israel was never able to c complete the law. They were never able to live obedient to the law. And so the prophets came and they warned them, hey, you got to turn your hearts back to God. you got to start being obedient to God again. you got to start keeping the law. They couldn't do it. So then these other armies from other nations came in and the Babylonians took the Israelites away to Babylon. The Persians, they took them. Like there was this great scattering of the Jewish nation. And then God did bring them back to the land. He brought them back to Israel and they rebuilt the temple and they, they started the practice again, trying to fulfill the law again. But they were disobedient even then. So it's this entire journey of, of trying, but disobedience and then suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills the law perfectly. He keeps the law perfectly. He knew the law perfectly. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. He and the Father wrote the thing through the Holy Spirit, right? He knew everything about it and he knew the spirit of the law perfectly so he kept it perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And therefore, when we go into the Old Testament and we read the Old Testament law, we are not primarily concerned with keeping it. We're not even secondarily concerned with keeping it. Why? Because Jesus has kept it perfectly. And what that means is that lawbreakers like you and I are now under this new covenant of grace. Amen? That we are under the blood of Jesus and, and the, the final sacrifice for sin has been made on the cross of Calvary in the person of Jesus Christ who took your sins and my sins on himself, paid the penalty of sin that day. And that is why, I don't care who you are, if you've been a Christian your entire life, I don't care if you're, if you're the most mature Christian that has ever walked the face of this earth. If you're here and you're like head and shoulders above Pastor Mike, that's great. I hope you all are. Here's the thing. You have never sacrificed even a dove for the forgiveness of your own sins. You haven't, have you? Has anybody here sacrificed? Probably don't raise your hand. That would be weird. <laughs> anybody ever, ever slay, slaughter a lamb for the forgiveness? Anybody? No? No, no hands? Uh, it, it's just so interesting. It's, how many of you, you slaughter a lamb and then you put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost? Anybody ever, good Christians ever do that? Why not? It's all in the Bible. 
How come you never do that? How have we? This is such a disobedient congregation. You guys never do it. Why not? You know why. You know exactly why you have never sacrificed an animal for the forgiveness of your own sins. You know that. Why, why haven't you? I'm just curious. Maybe you don't know. Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer in church. Just so you know, every question, answer Jesus. Yeah, so I have some friends who are, who are religious followers of Judaism. And they love God. They do love God. And they, in, in the, the Old Testament is their scripture. It's just the Hebrew scriptures. They just call it the scripture. And so their Old Testament, that, that's their law. That's, that's what they try to follow. And, and, and they're good followers of God. They're good lovers of God. But they have never, ever sacrificed an animal for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I know exactly why I've never sacrificed an animal for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus himself is the final sacrifice. God sacrificed himself. God is the one who says, there, there needs to be a penalty paid, and I will pay it. And so Jesus paid the penalty of sin for me. Therefore, I never have to sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins. Are you with me? I know exactly why theologically because I have a Christ-centered theology. My Jewish friends are awesome humans. They're amazing. I'm not running anybody down. But they don't know why they don't sacrifice animals. They don't have a theology for why they don't sacrifice animals today. They don't <laughs> because it's gross. <laughs> But they don't know why, theologically. Are you, are you following me? And that's why I want you to see it's so important for us to understand that we view the scripture through the lens of Jesus. Because if we don't view the scripture through the lens of Jesus, we're not going to know why we do some things and don't do other things. We're not going to know why this command is binding today, but this command isn't binding today. We're not going to know. And by the way, I have to tell you, the Bible is not just open it up and you only do the things that you really like to do and you forget the rest of it. Right? The Bible is not like a buffet line where you just go through and you just take the shrimp and you just take the bacon and you leave the salads behind. Okay? No, no, no. no. The, 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 we don't do that to the scripture. We got to know why it is that some things in the scripture are binding and that we bring our lives underneath those authority and then some things aren't and we say those are useful but they're not relevant and, and applied in my life today. Are you following me? And this is how. It's through the lens of Jesus. I'm going to give you one more example, and this is really important. The law is important. It's good to, for us to know why we don't prioritize that. But this is important because this is what we do prioritize. This is only viewed through the lens of Jesus, and that is this, that love is the overwhelming priority of the kingdom of God. You might want to write that down. Because of a Jesus-centric theology, love is the overwhelming priority of the kingdom of God. We are to love God, and we are to love people. And we are to love our neighbors. All, all this is in scripture, all of it's modeled. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love our friends. We're to love our family. We're to love those who live near us, those who are in our community, those who look like us and talk like us and think like us. And we're to love those who live far from us, those who are different from us, those who look different from us or speak different from us, those who think different from us. We're to love those who have similar backgrounds to us and those who have different backgrounds to us. We're to love those who are, are, are part of our own cultural heritage and story and those who have totally different cultural heritages and stories. We're to love those who think differently than we do about politics. We're to love those who think differently than we do about sexuality. We're to love those who think differently than we do about anything there, there is to think about because we're to even love, Jesus says, our 
enemies. And I, and I don't want you to miss this. I, I want you to understand this. There are three reasons why it is that love is this overwhelming priority for those of us who follow after this Jesus-centric faith uh, journey. And, and here it is. The first reason, I'll give you three. The first reason is this. I hope you understand that in the Old Testament, you will see that you are commanded to love your friends and to hate your enemies. That's what you're commanded to do in the Old Testament scripture. Love your friends and hate your enemies. But because Jesus is now the lens through which we interpret everything, you might recall something that Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said that you're to love your friends and to hate your enemies. But I say to you, you're to love your I, I get it. I've been talking for a long time. So let, let's look up here. Let's wake up for just a second. I'm going to give you the answer real quick. The answer enemies. Okay. He says, but I tell you, you're to love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's right. Love your enemies. Love those who come at you and cold cock you on the right cheek. And then you're to turn and offer them the left. Love those who set themselves up against you in order to betray you or manipulate you or run you down. You're, you're to love them. Love those who are your, your national enemies. You're to love those who are your political enemies. You're to love those who are your personal enemies. You're to love your spouse when they set themselves up as your enemy. Whoo, this is the hardest thing in the world, right? But yet this is what Jesus has shown us as this highest, this pinnacle theology for us. And suddenly now, this is a dividing line. Are you with me? This changes everything. And so now, anytime I go into the Old Testament and I read something and it's about slaying or cutting off somebody's head or striking down or it's about, you, you know, this, this wrath or it's about, you, you know, whatever, over, you know, killing your enemy, you know, disemboweling your enemy, like all this stuff. Like, you just need to know, oh, I read this through the lens of Jesus and I, I might be able to disembowel my spiritual enemy through prayer, but I'm not going to do it literally. Are you with me? Because I can't hate my enemy, I, I have to love my enemy. Now, you guys, this is the hardest teaching there is in all of scripture. So I get it, I get it, I get it. That's why it's easier to pretend you're asleep right now. You're not. You're with me. But this is what Jesus has taught us. And so this now becomes the Jesus-centric ethic through which. And you might push back and you might say, well, Mike, are you saying that there are these commands like hate your enemy in the Old Testament that you're not to follow? I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that. Jesus is. Jesus is. So when Jesus says it, that's when I say, hey, that's what we have to do. Okay? So that's the first reason. The second reason is really, really clear, and it's also just as important, and that is that every single human you meet is handcrafted in the image of God. You have never met a single person Regardless of where they're from, what country, what background, regardless of sort of what philosophical stance or religious stance they've taken, you have never met a single person who does not have the original fingerprints of glory on them. That's not crafted fearfully and wonderfully in the image of our Father God. And, and, and so there, there is this incredible honor then, and there's this incredible dignity that we offer. Even people that we disagree with or see things differently from, we honor them and we dignify them. Why? Because they're made in the image of our Father. And the third reason, and this is probably the most important reason, the third reason 
not just that Jesus taught it, not just that they're made in the image of God, it's that our Savior went to the cross because he loved them that much. Amen. Jesus died on the cross for everybody. Not just you. Yes, you, but not just you. You might want to write that down because that's actually pretty clever too. <laughs> yes, me, but not just me, right? That is absolutely true. Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross as a sacrifice of love for every single person because Jesus loves every single person. Jesus wants a relationship with every single person and since he's the hero of the Bible and the only savior and God in the flesh and love made tangible and the point of it all, what he says goes. And that's why we have a Jesus-centric view of the Bible, and that's why love is the overwhelming priority of the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you a couple of practical examples on this, a couple of practical examples about what this might look like. <clears throat> and again, in the first service, people wrote this down because they found it practically helpful for them. But here's what it means. It means you don't have to agree with everyone, but you do have to love everyone. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to love them. You don't have to convince anyone that you're right, but you do have to love them. You don't ever have to worry about arguing anyone into believing in Jesus Christ. You just have to love them. In fact, I would actually argue that it is so much better to simply love people the way Jesus has loved you and, and love them consistently and love them for the long haul and love them in season and out of season the exact same way that Jesus has loved you. That is actually the most authentic way to introduce someone to Jesus because you'll be showering them with the love of Jesus your entire relationship. Amen. I, uh, I know some of you are familiar with the novel and, uh, called Les Miserables. It was written by Victor Hugo, and then later it was a musical that was on Broadway and, and went around the world and called Les Mis. And, and, and in this story, near the beginning, actually, is, is such a profound picture because there's this convict named Jean Valjean, and he's been in jail for 19 years. And now he's this, he's this ex-con trying to make his way in the world. And he meets a priest, and the priest takes him in for the night. And Valjean is starving, and, and the priest feeds him and offers him a warm bed to sleep in. But Valjean has been treated like a criminal for so long that he just views himself as a criminal. And so over the long watch of the night, he takes a sack and he shoves all of the priest's silver in it, the, 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 you know, the silver forks and the silver knives and the silver cups, and he just puts them all in a sack and he splits, he, he, he steals off into the night. And of course he's caught by police officers and they bring him back to the priest's house the next morning and they throw Valjean at the priest's feet and say, we caught this thief and he has all your silver. And the priest was there and instantly understands the entire situation. And he says, oh, officers, this man didn't steal my silver. He says, I gave them to him as a gift. And not only that, he says, Valjean, you forgot in your haste to leave that I gave you these silver candlesticks as well. Please take these. Be well. And in the musical, there's this line where the priest says, and Valjean affirms, that in this act of grace, in this act of blessing, even the thief that ransacked his home, what this priest has done is purchased his soul for God. That's what grace does. See, the only way this kind of outlandish love works 
is when it's offered and not deserved. And that's what Jesus has offered for you and for me. And that's why followers of Jesus are to offer that in this world. See, this is the picture of Jesus who washes Judas' feet the night that Judas betrays him. This is Jesus who, when he's strung up on the cross, when he's nailed upon that rough wooden cross and he's been whipped and he's been abused and mocked and spit on and his beard's been ripped from his face, that in the midst of that moment of pain and suffering and agony, he looks down upon his torturers and his executioners and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus shows us this totally other way, this way of outlandish love. And we can only love like this when we view the entire canon of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is God's love made tangible to us. And so we bring all of our theology and all of our philosophy and all of our practical ministry underneath the umbrella of his being, powerfully carried by the spirit of God. And that brings me to this next truth, and this is the last thing we'll talk about this morning. Understand that the Bible is an invitation to relationship. The Bible's an invitation to relationship. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it's referred to, it refers to itself as living and active. In other words, this is not a dead document, but it has the ability to speak directly to us. The written word, the Bible, points us to the living word, Jesus, and it's a love letter from God's heart to ours. It's always an invitation to relationship. Starting in October, uh, I love doing this, and I've done this the last couple of years. I love hosting a Wednesday night group for guys. We get together here at the church property, and basically what we do is we just come together and we jump into a passage of Scripture. And we'll spend some time. I'll print out the passage that we're going to study. We, we jump in. We spend some time reading it. And we might read it in one translation, two, three translations. And we might, you know, spend some time privately just praying over it and, and, and just asking God, God, would you speak to us through this passage? And then we all come back together around tables and we begin to share what it is that God spoke to our hearts through his scripture. It's so amazing to me. Because what God says to Jim is slightly different than what God says to Lars. And what God says to Lars is slightly different than what God says to Carrie. But as they share with one another what it is that God was speaking to them and how God was inviting them into relationship, it's all there in the text. And it's all fueled by God's Holy Spirit. And and Jim and Lars and Carrie edify one another and build one another up as they share the fact that God is inviting us into relationship through this written word that he's given us. You know, this doesn't always happen to me, but I want to tell you that it happens to me from time to time, and it's just so amazing. Many of you know my practice is I get up really early in the morning. I like to be the first one up in my home, and I'll go down. I got this home office downstairs, and so I'll spend some time down there and grab my journal, my Bible, a cup of coffee. And and there are times when in in the darkness of the early morning, in the quietness of the house, that I'll open up the Bible, and just the act of opening those pages Suddenly the hair on my arm just stands up. And I'll just sense the Spirit of God present in that moment. Just that desire from my Heavenly Father who wants to be in relationship with me. And prizing Him and getting alone with Him and just opening up the pages of His living Word. It's just this invitation to draw in intimacy with Him. 
It doesn't happen all the time, but it's so beautiful when it does. And, and that's what I want to encourage you. So that's why we go after this book. That's why we open it up again and again. That's why we view it all through the lens of Jesus, because we want to be drawn closer into that relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. Amen. Several years ago, I was having that experience when I was, uh, it was early, early morning, probably 5, 15 or so. And I was down in my home office, and it's a carpeted floor. And so I actually, in, in this day, I, I had spread out on the floor. I, I just felt like I wanted to get on my face before the Lord. And so I was just there. I was having some prayer time, and, and I had my journal and my Bible, a cup of coffee. And I just was, I just was praying to Jesus. And, and as I was spending that time with him in the quietness of the morning, I, I heard these tiny little footsteps come down the hall. And it was, it was my son, Caleb. He was four years old at the time. And he comes padding down the hall in his little footed pajamas. And he comes into my office. He doesn't even say a word. He just comes in and he sees me laying on, on the floor. And so he just really gently sits down and lays down on my back. And he puts his head on my head like a pillow. And his little feet, you know, kind of make it to my waist a little bit. And, and he's just laying there in silence on his dad. And I just, I was already in prayer, but I, it, it, when he did that in that moment, I really, I felt like my heart was just going to explode with love, you know. I just, I was just so blessed in that moment. I, I remember saying, oh, Jesus, this parenting thing. Jesus, who knew that it could be this good? And then he says, out of the quietness of the morning, he says, Dad, Dad, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, oh, son, anything. I mean, I was ready for anything. I was so present in that moment. I was so filled with love, joy of being with him. I was like, whatever you want to talk about. You want to talk about spirituality. You want to talk about girls. You want to talk about politics. You want to talk about death. Like, I'm ready. Like, let's, let's, do, let's do the biggies, you know. Let's just get this going. And he's like, Dad, did you know lizards can lick their eyeballs? I, I, I didn't, actually, but I, I, it's good to know, though. That's, uh, that's, that's good. I remember thinking, God, who knew that it could be this strange, you know? I, but what I want you to see in that moment is, is the value of a moment like that is 100% relational. Now, there are other things going on in that moment, but what you see in that moment is a son trusting in and resting on his dad, you see mutual love, delight, and enjoyment. So what you see is just this beautiful value of relationship and intimacy. That's how I want us to approach the scriptures. I want us to approach the scripture that every time you open up the pages of this incredible book that God has given us, you understand that he's inviting you deeper into intimacy with him. Please never forget that how we understand scripture is we understand that it is the mega narrative. It's, this, it's a meta story. The arc of the scripture is about God's plan of salvation. And it all points to Jesus as the means through which salvation comes to earth. And because it points to Jesus, then Jesus himself then becomes the window through which we read and interpret all of Scripture and then apply it into our lives today because we follow him. Therefore, we interpret it all through him. And lastly, you need to understand that he's inviting you into a relationship with him. 
He's inviting you into this love relationship that starts now and lasts for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's give him some praise. Jesus, we want to say that we love you. We want to say that we thank you. We We want to tell you that we realize that all of this was a plan that you and the Father and the Spirit put together before the foundations of time and the universe were ever put into place. That you were the one who had this in mind. You had us in mind. You had rescue in mind. You had reconciliation in mind. It's always been your plan, and we're thankful for it. And so, Jesus, what we ask is that you would give us the eyes to see. You would give us the desire to draw near you in relationship, and then you would give us the ability to look at Scripture through the lens of your love. Help us to look at Scripture through the lens of your blood. Help us to look at Scripture empowered by your Holy Spirit so that we would know exactly how to live this life and apply Scripture into our lives. And more than anything, we ask that you would give us the courage to love the way you have loved us. Give us the courage to love the way that you loved your enemies. Give us the courage to love the way you've modeled love to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, who is God in the flesh. We pray it in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand right now and let's continue to give Jesus praise. Let's invite his Holy Spirit to lead our lives.
experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory. that song so much and, and I just have this imagery of that kind of being our prayer whenever we open up the scriptures whenever whenever we, we we are seeking what Jesus would have for us by reading the written word and and that the spirit would be the one that that, that helps us know how to apply it Jesus helps us understand it and Jesus what's about and his spirit is the one that helps put it in motion well, in this moment, you can go ahead, grab a seat, and as you're, as you're doing that, find that connection card Pastor Mike mentioned earlier, and again, on the front, just maybe maybe some things have changed, and you just want to update the best way to get a hold of you on the front, and, and on the back, maybe, maybe even in that moment of worship, there, there were some things coming to mind that, that you just want to be lifting in prayer. Well, we would love to join uh, with you in that, so, so jot down any prayer requests on the back, and, and we'd love to be lifting those up with you this week. Uh, there's also a lot of different kind of options on the, on the left-hand side on the back there of uh, a couple of ways to serve. We're still looking to add some uh, members to our teams in Kidtown and Student Ministries. And, and then also some great next steps to take at Overlake. Uh, in, in particular, if you're newer to Overlake or, or maybe you've just never taken this first step of, of walking through Rooted or Raices, if you're a Spanish speaker, uh, this is a, a great season to do that. Um, and it'll be starting up in a couple weeks, and it'd be, it'd be great to, to, to join together on, on that journey towards dynamic membership together. And, and so check mark that box if that applies to you, and, and, um, and we'll drop those in the buckets when they come by. Uh, and actually, let's, let's do it now. Ushers, if you want to come forward, we'll pass the buckets. 
Uh, if it's your first time, we, we're, we would love to get to meet you and then send you out of here with a gift. So hold on to your card and swing by the Connection Center and the first floor lobby, and, and we'd love to get that to you. As, as the buckets are coming by, this is just another way we worship here at Overlake. Uh, not, not the giving of connection cards, uh, uh, but, but the giving of gifts, tithes, and offerings. And, 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 and we know it also happens online, and many of you also are doing the text to give thing. There's, there's different ways to do it, but I, I, I was reflecting on just kind of the giving at the Swanson's household, thinking through our monthly budget. And the different line items, like housing with the mortgage payment, or gas, or or even diapers. Uh, the, the the thing that gives me the most joy that I see is actually Overlake Christian Church. I know that there are just amazing things happening every week in, week out, through all the different teams and departments, and and even internationally, the works that's happening. And and so it's just I don't know. I it just it's it's so fun to to give to a place where it just fills you with joy. And, and, I, and I think that's so really what, what, what the Lord would have for each of us, that we would be given out of a, a joyfulness, uh, not, not, not a sense of compulsion or anything else, but, but out of a, a place of joy. And so let's do this. I'd love to bless you out of here. Let's all stand together. And as you're standing, two things. One, on your way out, you'll notice some tables set up and, and some folks there that would love to answer any questions on some of the classes that will be starting in a couple weeks or maybe joining a group is your next step and getting connected to some other overlakers on this journey. Uh, but if there's any way we can pray with you, we'd love to make that happen as well. So on the second floor in the alcove, kind of head up, take a left there. Uh, we have a great team that would love to pray for you. And, and so if there's anything going on, uh, we'd love for you to share that. And, and we just love to, to be with you in that moment. Well, since we're in this series on Scripture, I thought it would make so much sense to just pray a blessing over you straight from Scripture, straight from Ephesians. And Pastor Mike was mentioning how we're a Christ-centric. Our, everything we talk about, everything we think about, our theology is all in Christ. These are the words of Paul that are so Christ-centric. So receive these words. I pray that out of Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Christ's name, be blessed. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.